Welcome to the Kara's Care Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundlin. Thanks for being here. Recently, more than two dozen college kids were sent to the hospital in Massachusetts due to what's called Borg drinking. If you're wondering what that is, it's a dangerous trend on TikTok. And I'm joined today by child psychologist Dr. Laura Saunders from the Institute of Living at Hartford Healthcare with what parents need to know about this trend. Welcome, doctor. Hello, Kara. Thank you for having me. Yeah, what is Borg, and why should parents of older teens or college kids know about this? So Borg is stands for, it's an acronym, Blackout Rage Gallon, B-O-R-G. Um, and it has become a drink of choice for certainly co uh, college-age folks uh, on college campuses across the country. It has been around for a while, but I think has gotten blown up through TikTok, which social media is, you know, one of the ways that information gets transmitted like lightning amongst a lot of folks, especially young people. Um, so what a Borg is, is essentially a, a gallon container, whether it was milk or water, whatever it was to start. Um, and it's, it's made up of water, vodka, usually some kind of caffeinated flavor enhancer and powdered electrolytes. You know, electrolytes could be like a Pedialyte or, um, uh, you know, Powerade or Gatorade, one of those kinds of things. And interestingly, it's really hailed by students as a hangover-proof party drink. However, if ambulances are getting called because people are drinking in excess, um, then that's a very significant problem. Right. So the idea of mixing these things together in some sort of a clear container is the problem that kids have no idea what they're drinking and that that also can be a dangerous combination for the body? Well, in, in essence, or in theory, um, individuals are mixing this themselves. So it should be something that they know what proportions they're putting in, how much, you know, vodka or whatever other alcohol they're putting in, they sh and mixing it with water and, and the other, in the you know, the caffeinated flavor enhancer and, and the uh, electrolytes, they should know what the proportions are. And it, so they're doing it themselves. That's different from, you know, back when I was in college or other years where you had like tubs of something that you just took your cup and scooped it out of the tub and God only knows what was in the tub at that point. So, so I mean, we can talk a little, little bit about it from a harm reduction model, um, but I do think that part of this discussion really needs to be about the dangers of binge drinking because we do know that that's a pretty significant issue on every single college campus, certainly in this country. Um, and so, so yes, they should know what it is. And generally, because I've also referenced, uh, used my two college-aged kids as references for this story, um, they, it's what individuals make it up themselves and then they carry it around themselves. Yeah, you can see on the internet they're carrying around, sometimes they name these Borgs, but let's just talk about Borg actually stands for Blackout Rage Gallon, right? Is that what it is? Blackout Rage Gallon? Blackout Rage Gallon, yes. Yeah, okay. So Borg actually stands for Blackout Rage Gallon. So the idea behind that is obviously binge drinking, which your statistics show as many as 33% of full-time college students engage in. What's the danger 
even from a developmental state, all of these brains being under 25 and not full grown? So, I mean, there's a lot of dangers to binge drinking, you know, but let's just highlight a few of them. It affects your cognitive ability. It affects your physical body. Um, I really worry, you know, about judgment and impulse control. We know that alcohol, um, even as a depressant, but it disinhibits you. So things that you might not do or say, you're disinhibited, so you're more likely to do or say it. I really worry about um, college young women because not holding on to their judgment and their impulse control can put them in more dangerous situations around sexual assault. Um, and that is obviously very worrisome. So it, it really, you know, presents a lot of risk factors when it comes to our young college age folks. Yeah. And for parents, how do you have this conversation? Because, you know, you're, especially with college kids, you might be getting the eye roll like, Mom, I'm in college now. This is what everyone does. So I do think that information is important. Knowledge is power. And so to just open up a dialogue, create communication, talk about what your concerns are. We may not have direct control over their behavior. However, when people are of sound mind and, you know, more clear headed, sharing your concerns, bringing up issues around impact on judgment and, and, you know, putting yourself in vulnerable situations and, you know, not able to make good decisions when you're, you know, spending a day drinking. So it's just, it's creating a dialogue. And I look at conversations with young people as um, drops into a bucket, into a bore gallon, you know, to continue the metaphor. So you don't, you don't completely change anything with one conversation. But you need to have multiple conversations on a topic to to put the drops in that emotional bucket and let your your teen or your young person know that, you know, these are some these are some concerns. These this is why they're concerning. And the fact that you're having the discussion lends itself to you being open to talking about difficult topics. What you don't want, I don't recommend that you come out with a this is this is intolerable and a really bad decision and you should never do these things because that attitude while there might be some sound basis in the reasoning but that attitude shuts down discussion and shuts down communication it doesn't keep the lines of communication open so the idea of preaching never do this or abstinence from alcohol altogether parents might be thinking well if i say that maybe we'll do a little less you find in the world of psychology, it just means the kids are going to share less and, and listen less. Right. And especially when it comes to alcohol, I mean, I, you know, I'm approaching this from a harm reduction model. So I like to not pretend that no drinking happens in co on college campuses until you're a senior and over 21. That's not realistic. So let's approach this from a more realistic perspective and, and talk about what you can do to to, to limit yourself or to make better decisions, you know, so that and the abstinence model does not work. It doesn't work in, in this area. It doesn't work in sex education. It doesn't work in a lot of areas. So I don't approach it from that angle. And that really just shuts down discussion.
Okay. And the dangers are real. 2,000 college students die from alcohol-related unintentional injuries. 700,000 college students are sexually assaulted every year. Uh, so these are real numbers. What do you mean by approaching this with a harm reduction model? So harm reduction, so there's, there's two models. And when, when it comes to substance use issues, there's two models. There's abstinence. You should never engage and never indulge. And any, any engagement or any is considered like a, you know, a failure experience or a relapse. Um, relapse is really more a word you would use when you have a diagnosable substance use disorder. Um, so a harm reduction model really is to reduce the negative and adverse consequences of drug use among persons who are already doing it. We already know that college age kids are drinking alcohol and smoking weed. Um, so harm reduction acknowledges that drugs and alcohol are widely available, especially on college campuses. Um, and it, it just, it's a different framework that we're trying to reduce the negative and adverse consequences as opposed to coming off as more um, punishing or, or, you know, inducing shame. Do you feel differently about these two models with older high school students versus college students? I'm not talking about middle school, but I think it's also unrealistic as parents of teens are realizing that alcohol is not at high school parties nowadays as well and probably has been for some time. It has been since high school was invented. Right. So, you know, yes. So I, I personally take in my professional and personal life more of a harm reduction model. So let's provide information and education. What happens, you know, and let's really reduce high-risk situations. Drinking and driving, absolutely not. You know, drinking and engaging in an activity that would uh, make you more vulnerable. So let's, let's get at what I call the low-hanging fruit in some of those situations. And higher-risk situations or higher-risk activities at mixing with substances is very, very concerning. So let's go after that. Um, you know, we can give the the party line, which is no one should be drinking under the age of 21. Um, and yes, our brains are not fully developed until age 25. However, we know that these things are happening. And so I, I do like to go after sort of the harm reduction model as opposed to the abstinence model. Uh, we can promote abstinence, but the reality is it's still happening. Yeah, and when you talk about um, risky behaviors, do you mean like, what would a conversation be with, say, your daughter? She's going to a party, and maybe she's even being open with you, like, Mom, I'm probably going to have a drink. Or, But are you saying that you're concerned about the sexual assault or the judgment? And how would you have that conversation? Are there going to be mixed genders there? Are you going to be alone? Uh, what conversation would you model? So I, I would have a more open conversation about what are the risks, right? So things like making, you know, being alone or not staying with your group of friends or being very careful about what you're taking into your body, where it came from and what's in it and knowing how that affects you. So to really be very mindful and careful um, and not just take something from someone else that you have no idea what's in it or where it came from. Um, and again, that's, as I said, I use both my college age uh, kids as reference for this. Um, and they really came at this from that harm reduction mindset, which is, well, at least we've made it, it you know, 
at least we know what's in it as opposed to like dipping into jungle juice or, or a bathtub filled with godly knows what. Um, and so while I can really express my concern and, you know, I see what where the risks are and I see what the vulnerabilities are, just being very specific to your teen about being careful and thinking things through and, you know, staying with friends and being being more mindful and skeptical and kind of critical about what might be happening or what someone is telling you. So with regard specifically to Borgs, in the harm reduction model, uh, the kids would say, well, uh, if you make it properly, it's not dangerous. You shouldn't be ending up in an ambulance um, or if you don't drink the whole gallon of it. I think is part of the problem that you're walking around with this gallon and I mean, how many people can, what if they drank that whole thing? That's a lot of alcohol versus cans or something where you're at least monitoring the number. Right, but that's the issue, right? So you might have a can of beer or a cup of beer or a cup of whatever, but after one or two, you've lost track about how many you've had. So have I had three cups or have I had six or eight cups? Um, And again, I'm not advocating that young people do this. I'm dealing with the reality that they are doing it. So so let's find ways to say, you know, put personal limits on yourself. I'm not ever going to have if I'm if I'm at a if I'm at a party and and with other college students, I'm not you know, I'm going to live limit myself to two or three. I know that they're going to do it, but let's set some personal limits or let's make sure that you space it out that you don't have more than one in an hour and you have water in between and you that you keep track of your cup or your glass or your whatever else um so that nothing does get put in it no no other substances get dropped into your drink um that would further impair your judgment so so it is coming at this from the harm reduction model and it, it is a very different stance in the abstinence model so i just like to kind of point that out um, because I don't want people to think that I'm just saying it's it's okay and fine for young people to uh, to consume alcohol and drugs. Well, on your side of the couch, so to speak, um, from a psychologist, what do kids tell you? Um, what's what what works for them in conversations they've had with their parents? I do like to know sort of how how like the why and the how. Like, well, well, why do you know? Why do you have drinks when you're out with friends or, you know, or more concerning, why do you have drinks or smoke weed when you're by yourself, right? So what does it do in those situations? We know that alcohol and substances are what I call social oil, right? For those people that have some social anxieties, it it greases that social wheel to make it a little easier for you to kind of converse or put yourself in situations that might be anxiety provoking. So from my side of the couch, obviously if I'm seeing someone, there might be a bigger issue and I'm going to want to address sort of, as I said, the why and the how, like, why is this helpful for you or not helpful for you? You know, how is it that, how is it in terms of the pattern? Like, is this something you're only doing on Friday and Saturday night? Or is this something you're doing now every night of the week and you're seeking out parties any night of the week to, to go out and have some drinks? So it's really looking at it from a slightly different lens. And how do you know if your child uh, then is struggling with addiction? Because so much of what college students are doing probably looks like extreme drinking. Um, so the concern I think parents will have is this like normal college behavior or do we have an addiction on our hands? I get worried about addiction when we see that it starts to 
um, really impair your judgment on an ongoing basis and negatively affect your functioning. So now it's affected your grades. Now it's, you know, now the behavior is occurring on a daily basis and really anything, anything that you do on a overindulging on a regular basis is problematic, right? You shouldn't be drinking two gallons of water on a daily basis. Water's healthy for everyone, but two gallons of water is too much. So we know that doing anything in excess is not healthy for you. Um, so to really, you know, take a hard look at the patterns, why they're engaging in it, how it affects them, um, and has it now crossed the line where it's affecting their functioning, they're not going to class, their grades are slipping, um, their friendships are being affect negatively affected, relationships are being affected. Um, so it's crossed the line in some way. So I think sometimes the kids actually are drinking right for those relationships. Well, everyone's doing it. I'm going to stick out. Um, you know, so I know sometimes people have the conversation, well, why don't you just hold it? It looks like, you know, then you don't get asked any questions or whatever. I mean, unfortunately, alcohol is such a part of our culture. People go, why aren't you drinking? Um, so is it part of that? Is there just the social pressure? And what do you advise kids to handle in that respect of feeling like I got to do this to fit in? So I do think that there is social pressure again, especially on, on college campuses, um, despite, I think, the efforts of colleges to provide information and education and, you know, finding ways to to cope or develop strategies to help yourself. Right. It might be you have your 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 solo cup, but it is filled with water or Sprite. So no one knows what's in it. Right. You could say, yeah, I'm drinking, too. Um, so, you know, really spacing out your drinking and not drinking one after the other. So developing strategies to help and protect yourself, it could be finding other activities, right? So, you know, it, it might be instead of going to a party, we're going to go to the movies. Many, many college campuses have movie theaters on campus these days. So there's other activities that you can engage in um, that don't involve drinking or substances and can be really pleasurable and enjoyable um, and can help you develop and work on your social skills. Yeah, and eating, right? If, if, if you're talking about harm reduction, maybe making sure that the kids eat before they go out. Right, and that's that's part of the kind of critical thinking that, you know, taking alcohol on an empty stomach is, will like physically, physiologically, make it get into your bloodstream even quicker. So, you know, being careful about the rate that you're drinking and, and what, what you've eaten, like this is from that harm reduction model. This is not coming from that abstinence model, which is pretending that no one should ever be drinking under the age of 21, which is, I understand the law, but that's not the reality. Right, right. Um, it's interesting with other countries, too, where the age is not 21 and where it's maybe not much of a taboo if you go to Europe and it's common for kids to just have a glass of wine with dinner and they tend to, that's a whole other issue, but they tend to look at Americans who, I, I know with my study abroad program, there were kids who wanted to do 21 shots, and the Spaniards were like, why? They were so confused, be like, why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> because the culture is different. I'm not arguing where the law should be here. I know we get concerned about drinking and driving and all that, but um, the more, is it, from a parent's perspective, is it true that the bigger deal we make of it, um, the more they want to do it? <laughs> so... Yeah, so you're tapping into my personal and professional feelings about how our society promotes binge drinking. And I do think that in other European countries, I'm not saying there aren't individuals with problems, addiction problems in other European countries, but 
the model that we approach it does promote binge drinking. So, but I have to go with what the law is right now. And the law is age 21 in other countries where it's alcohol is blended more into the culture where you have a drink or, you know, glass of wine or beer or something at a meal, right? That creates the social aspect of it, not sneaking into the park and, you know, downing a a six pack behind the bushes by the tennis courts um, because that's what promotes binge drinking. So the more you try, you, you force people to sort of hide and the more they have to binge in order to sort of get high or get drunk or whatever um, before they have to re-enter their home or whatever other situation. So I actually think there's some larger discussions here. There was a movement several years ago where it was a hundred different college presidents, um, you know, signed, signed a petition saying they actually thought that the drinking age should be lowered to 18 so that they could address the problem differently on college campuses because right now their hands are tied and they have to come at it from an abstinence model because that's what the law is and they have to you know they have to promote the law because they're on a college campus right so what about also because you are a mental health professional how is this a type of borg drinking um which is the idea that even the name is blackout rage gallon (laughs) how is it affecting mental health and the fact also is that a lot of kids might be on medication for anxiety or depression right so that's part of the the dialogue around you know to to the the one-on-one dialogue to your to your person, to your child, to your teen, your your college age, um, young adult, you know, it's yes, you have an underlying medical issue, you have diabetes, you have depression, right? We know that substances are can be an even more dangerous mixture when you deal with people with underlying um, mood or anxiety disorders. So it's that's where it, it becomes more personal. So policies and information are general, but you can have much more personal discussions with the young people in your life um, because it will affect them individually and differently. How does it matter or uh, how much does it matter the way parents drink in front of their kids? So, yes, we know that parental attitudes on substances really do have an impact on adolescent behaviors. Um, And so I, again, I don't, want to say that no parents can ever drink in front of their children because then again you know that they have to be like you know hiding in the bathroom or drive you know god forbid driving around in their car having a drink because they don't want to do it in front of their children i think what we want to show is responsible choices and responsible behavior um, because we know that parents and adults are role models for children Yeah. And I think it's become an issue, too, because even in the older teens, there's those houses where the parents are saying, I'm going to let them drink in my house because at least I can watch it and make it safe, even though we know that's really illegal. And then there's other parents. This isn't coming in my house. We're a lawyer or we're a doctor or we're. So uh, I don't know if you give advice about like just even what your what parents can do as far as a harm reduction model in their own home. It's really hard. and, And I do, you know, it is that line between following the law. The law says no one under 21 can consume alcohol, um, but yet you can, you know, join the military and, and have a gun at 18. But 
again, that gets into some of the social issues, which would be too easy for me to get caught up in. So I'm going to really try not to do that. But um, it, it it is it's just being mindful and careful about knowing the risk factors and the vulnerabilities of the people that you're closest to. So knowing, you know, the vulnerability, you know, you have a child with an anxiety disorder and knowing that if they engage in the use of substances, it could destabilize them more than one of their peers. So it's having that direct conversation with them. Listen, I know that some of your friends are, are having drinks or smoking weed um, at, at various events, but I want to talk about how that could impact you and how that, you know, you know, affects you personally and what I know of your vulnerabilities. Yeah. And there used to be, I mean, in the 80s, I grew up in the 80s with this is your brain, this is your brain on drug, the egg frying, just say no, which I guess is more of an abstinence model. Although I felt That's like I really model. learned from that. I felt like there was a little, maybe a little fear was good. But what is the conversation that you would have about um, saying no or limiting? Uh, how would you advise your kids? I think it is, is it's really um, emphasizing the risks, the risk that you take um, engaging in, in alcohol or substance use. Let's not pretend that, that marijuana is not rampant in high schools yeah. and college campuses as well. And vaping. And as so well as some hard drugs. Know. Yeah, you know, they... we're not even really touching on that, but that's also an issue. Um, actually, in my experience, um, I think it's, it's, it's easier for uh, teens, especially high school kids, to get access to marijuana easier than it is to get access to alcohol. But that might be a conversation for another time. Well, um, with the vaping, right? Because really you can't smell conversations. it. I'm, I'm sorry. Just, say I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, but back to what parents may not realize is they might not be smoking it the way the parents remember it with rolling a plant. It might be vaping and a cartridge with way more THC that has no smell at all which is sometimes even happening in high school bathrooms. So just even that idea that they could be having really high THC and mixing with alcohol. But unlike in previous generations, you might not know because you don't smell it. Right. And, and yes, the risks are different and the concerns are just, you know, just as high um, because it's, it's really about altering mood. I mean, and for the longest time, I, I've, I've said, that the true gateway drug, if we're going to go down this road, the true gateway drug is actually nicotine. Mm -hmm. Because nicotine, it, smoking cigarettes or vaping, whatever, nicotine is that is because 40-year-olds don't start smoking, right? It's teens that start smoking. Nicotine is that first instance where you take in a substance and it alters your mood. Now, I'm not someone who's ever smoked cigarettes, so I don't know personally how nicotine affects you, but I've heard from countless people how they're, you know, they're stressed. I just need a cigarette or they just finished a meal. They need a cigarette and, and the, and access to nicotine, which alters your mood is that first entree to something outside of myself can alter my mood as opposed to like building resilience and digging deep and, you know, using strategies to, to help yourself if you're, going into a stressful or anxiety producing situation, or you've had a really difficult day, you know, sometimes a 10, 15 minute walk can be just yeah. as effective as, you know, smoking something or drinking something. So it really is being open and honest about what your child's vulnerabilities are, where their risks are. There's certain things that are absolutely high risk 
I do really worry about um, vulnerability around sexual assault, yep. especially for young women, um, when their judgment and their thinking is compromised. Dr. Laura Saunders, thank you so much for the valuable information. And if you're hearing the word Borg for the first time on this podcast, um, consider yourself educated. And I think this is maybe a good podcast. Uh, if you're uncomfortable, you could actually just listen to this with your teens and say, look, this is what the psychologist is telling us. But uh, so we appreciate your time and helping us have these difficult conversations with our kids. Thank you, Kara. Thanks, Dr. Saunders. And for more information on the cutting edge of wellness, you can follow me on social media at Kara Sundlin. I like to share this content there. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.